Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. Ephesians chapter 3. We're going to pick up exactly where we left off last week, which means we are in the middle of Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church and the surrounding churches of that region. And so Paul is praying, and we are in Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. And really in this prayer, there's, there's four petitions that are being made. And so the first one we looked up last week, and it was the first step that was that they would have strength. It says in verse 16 that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. So really this is a prayer that Christ would dwell in them, that he would dwell in their hearts. And so I gave the illustration of, of the man who, who invited Jesus into his heart, and they went room by room, and they, they went from one room to the next, and every room they went in, Jesus was like, we're going to have to change some things here. And, and eventually he felt like he had given Jesus all the areas of his heart, but yet there was this stench that was coming from a hall closet. And he was, he was kind of offended that, that Jesus would even want to address it. And he was like, listen, I've given you everything. And so Jesus begins to say, well, I'll just, I'll be out on the doorstep. You know, I can't live in this, in the smell. And so he eventually gives over his entire heart. And so that is the prayer that Paul has for the church, that though they've been saved, that now that Jesus would begin to take ownership of every area of their life. And so now he moves on to this next petition. It's a petition that they would be rooted and grounded in love, that they would know Christ's love beyond uh, knowledge, and that they would be filled with the fullness of God. And so he begins to pray for them and their sanctification, that they would know the love of God. We all love a good love story, don't we? Maybe, maybe you're a, a sucker for a, a rom-com or a romantic comedy like, like I tend to be. But you know, there's books like Romeo and Juliet that are, that are classics. It's just a classic love story. Maybe, maybe you like Pride and Prejudice. Maybe Sleepless in Seattle. No? Maybe The Notebook. No? Well, The Notebook, I had to leave the theater because I was crying so bad at the end of that one. But maybe, maybe this is it. The, the classic Pixar Up. Yeah, that one, the very beginning of that cartoon, I was in tears. We all love a good love story. To be fully known and truly loved, well, a lot like being loved by God, it is what we need more than anything, Tim Keller. To be loved. The whole Bible is a love story, as Colin Smith says. It begins with God, and God is love. Before anything else existed, love flowed between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says to the Father, you loved me before the foundation of the world, John 17, 24. Before anything else existed, there was love, to know the love of God. Well, let's read this prayer, Ephesians chapter 3. I'll read 14 through 21 again, and let's pray as we read this that we would be filled with the love of God, that we would know the love of God that surpasses all understanding. If you have your Bibles, let's read together. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Gracious Father, as we look at your word today, we ask that you would, you would grow us in a deeper understanding, but more than knowledge, that you would allow us to experience the love of Christ that is beyond understanding, that we would know the love of Christ, that you would fill us with your very presence, that you would equip us with your spirit so that we could produce in us a fruit that is not capable of being produced on our own. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. May today we capture just a glimpse of that in your word. In Christ's name, amen. Maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This verse is, is a remarkable verse, that we could capture the love of God. God so loved the world. Well, what's, what's the world? You have to ask this question, what does it mean? Does it mean everyone? That God so loved everyone? Does it mean that all people, without distinction of, of ethnic diversities, does it refer to just God's elect people that are found in every tribe, language, and tongue? Who, who's the world, and how big is this love that God has? Well, B.B. Warfield tells us world is not here a term of extension as much as a term of intensity. Its primary connotation is ethical, and the point of its employment is not to suggest that the world is so big that it takes a great deal of love to embrace it all, but that the world is so bad that it takes a great kind of love to love it at all, and much more to love it as God has loved it when he gave his son for it. We are so lost in our sin, so depraved in our being, that it takes a great love to love us. R.C. Sproul says the, world's, the world represents sinful humanity and not is not worthy of God's saving love. Apart from the love of God, the world stands under God's condemnation. But in Christ, believers experience God's surpassing, redeeming, and never-ending love. John 3.16 is not about the greatness of the world, but about the greatness of God. God so loved. Paul, as he prays here, he's praying for these believers that they would be able to grasp how great the love of God is. It's so great. It's so grand. It's so immeasurable. It's, you can't use height or depth or anything else to, to measure it. It is so beyond our understanding that you would have the ability, the strength to grasp it as believers. As Lamentation says in 3, 22 through 23, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Let me ask you, do you know that God loves you? Can you fathom it? It's just a remarkable thought. Now let's put a caveat to that. Psalms 5, 4 through 8. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple 
and the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. Did you see this? You hate all evildoers. God is a God of love. He's a God of holiness. He's a God of justice. He cannot stand sin. He cannot look upon sin. He can't dwell with sin. But I, verse 7, through the abundance of your steadfast love, because of your son Jesus Christ, there has now been provided a way for me to be in your presence. That is how much God loves us. So if, if you are in Christ, God's love for you is not based on your merit or your obedience. It's based on the work of his son. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I, I feel like I've failed so miserably in being a Christian that how could God love me? Do you ever feel this way? The love that God has for you is not based on how good you are. It's not based on what you do and don't do. It's not fickle in that manner. It is a steadfast love. It's fixed. It's firm in Christ. God chose to love the church, and as a result of that love, he gave his son as a ransom for the church to redeem her, to fill her, to purify her in his sight. How immeasurable is the love of God. That when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God declared you not guilty. Not guilty for all of your sin. Because in Jesus, when he took your place as the propitiation for your sins, meaning the substitute for your sins, he took all of your sin. He took the full wrath of God in your place. He didn't, he didn't keep some of it back just in case. No, he took the full wrath in your place. This is the love of God demonstrated for those who are in Christ Jesus. The love of God. This means... God's not going to learn something about you that makes him love you less. He's not going to love you less. The unfathomable love of God is freely given and poured out on an unworthy object because the outpouring of his wrath was poured out on his son who was unworthy and undeserving of punishment. God so loved the world. So Paul prays, this is one point today, one point is all I got time for, one point. Paul prays for those who are in Christ to know God's love. And this is my prayer for you today, that you would know the love of God that surpasses understanding. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, being rooted and grounded in love. Well, the Christian life is rooted and grounded in love. It's, it's established in the love of Christ. So even as we saw earlier on in this book, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 5, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. So according to the purpose of his will, he predestined us in love. So this is before. This is the foundational part of this. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. So it is the love of God 
that we are rooted in as the foundation for our faith. So therefore, if we are rooted in this, this agricultural term that is used here, that our roots are going into the soil of God's love, so we're rooted in that. And so from the roots, we are beginning to get nourished in our, in our walk with Christ so that we will produce a love that is not a human love, but it is a, a God-sized love out of our lives. So what is the greatest commandment? Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law that he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind? This is the greatest and first commandment, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. These two commandments depends all the law and the prophets. So in order to obey the command, in order to follow the greatest commandment, there has to be a deeper love in our lives in order for us to produce a love that loves God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, because I am incapable of doing that on my own. Because my love is human love, and my love is based on emotions, and it's fickle. It's back and forth. Am I right? So for me to love, the God, love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, there has to be a rooting that goes down deeper into a, a love. And in order for me to love others, that has to be a supernatural love. As First John 4.20 says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So if you say you love God, that means that love that you have from God is, being, is rooted in God's love. So therefore, it's now producing in you a love for God. And if it's a genuine love for God that is produced by God, then that love for God would also be a love for others. Rooted. As Paul would say in Colossians 2, 6 through 7, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus... The Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. You're to walk in him, to walk in the spirit. You are to be rooted and built up, established in the faith. You are to produce love. This is where we see the fruit of the spirit. So in Galatians 5, 22 through 23, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control against such things there is no law it's fruit of the spirit not fruits of the spirit it's all love rooted in love produces in us the fruit of love which is all of these things as as dr donald gray barnhouse says love is the key love joy is love singing peace is love resting Long-suffering is love enduring. Kindness is love's touch. Goodness is love's character. Faithfulness is love's habit. Gentleness is love's self-forgetfulness. Self-control is love holding the reins. Rooted in love. Our Christian faith is rooted in love. It's grounded in love. That's another term. This term is more the picture of a foundation. A firm and steady foundation. This means that our love for God and others is not based on fluctuating feelings, emotions, circumstances. Rather, it's solid, it's steady, it's built on Christ. He is the rock in which we are built on. So in Matthew 7, 24 through 27, Jesus is teaching Sermon on the Mount. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them would be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. 
And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Our obedience is not rooted and grounded on our love. It's rooted and grounded in his love. We build our life on his love, on the love of Christ. We are incapable of doing it on our own. We need Christ in our lives in order to produce in us a fruit of love, but also in order for us to build our life on him. John, again, 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. John 14, 21, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Both of these, you see that he will give a helper and he will manifest himself. So Jesus knows that in order for us to keep the commandments, there is a divine source and a divine power of, and love that we have to be rooted and grounded in in order for us to be able to be obedient. We can't do it on our own. So love is the foundation for the Christian faith. In 1 John 5, 2 through 3, but this we, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. How do we know that we love God? Well, when keeping his commandments are not burdensome. If, if being obedient to Jesus is burdensome on you, you may be trying to love him with an earthly love and not rooted and grounded in his love. You're rooted and grounded in Christ's love, you'll be de demonstrating a love for God and a love for others that is beyond circumstantial emotions. But this prayer is not about our love. Isn't that interesting? It's not about the fact that we need to love God more, we need to demonstrate love more. It's the fact that God loves us, that we would be able to understand the love of Christ that's beyond it beyond knowledge. He says that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. As D.A. Carson says, the remarkable thing about this prayer is that Paul assumes that his readers, Christians though they are, do not adequately appreciate the love of Christ. Let me stop right there. I think that's fair. Whether you're the Ephesian church or whether you're a church in Medivue, Tennessee, there's a good chance that we do not adequately appreciate the love of Christ. It's not a prayer that we might love Christ more, although we should. Rather, Paul is praying that we might better grasp Christ's immense love for us. While there is an intellectual side to this, it's not merely intellectual. Paul is praying that we who already know Christ's great love might come to experience it at an ever-deepening level. Paul wants us not only to know God loves us because we've read it. He wants us to experience it because we live it. It's a deepening knowledge. It's a knowledge that's beyond our understanding. It's, it's deeper than that. It is the love of God that upholds you, not your love of him. Therefore, it is the love of God that saves, sanctifies, sustains you, not your love for him. 
if your love for God was the reason you have faith, it would fail. But you're rooted and grounded in his love. It's the foundation for your faith. And therefore, though your love may be up and down at times because of circumstances and emotions, his love is steady. It's sure. As Romans 5 eight says, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This means that if you are in Christ, God's love is not affected or negated by our mess, our failures, and our sins. This means that for those who are in Christ Jesus, you are loved even in your inability to maintain the law. I won't do a show of hands, but raise a hand in your heart today if, if you failed God this week. Man, my, my mind, it failed my actions, they failed. My words, they failed. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The unfathomable love of God that is not based upon what I do and don't do. It's immeasurable and it's never-ending. As Romans 8 38 through 39, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That means that you can't do anything that would make God love you less. Isn't that remarkable? If you are in Christ, so Paul's prayer and our prayer should be that we not only intellectually understand and affirm that we're loved by Christ, but that our entire lives would be marked by it. An increasing knowledge of intimate personal exploration of the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth of his love for us in Christ. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, that you would have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. That's important, because the knowledge of God is a shared knowledge of God. To understand fully the love of Christ, it's a shared experience. In, in some ways, you'll never fully understand the love of Christ in isolation. You'll only become aware of or knowledgeable of the love of Christ in the community of faith because God's love will be demonstrated to you through his body the weight of this knowledge as John Steinbeck the writer of the grapes of wrath says the weight of knowledge is too great for one mind to absorb it is too great for us to understand the love of God this week we we did some demo work around the church I don't know if you've noticed there's Classrooms being changed, walls are being knocked down, stages are being ripped up, and, and there, were some, there were some large chunks of, of wall and stage that I'm just not strong enough to lift by myself. I'll just be honest with you. It, it required a team lift. You know what a team lift is? Like where you say, all right, on the count of three, one, two, three, and you lift with your knees because you can't lift with your back, and you try to get it into the dumpster, you know, team lift. I, there's just no way I could carry it. There's no way I could fully grasp it on my own it's the way it is with the love of God there are some aspects of the love of God that you will never fully grasp if you're in isolation from his church 
It is through the body that we experience that we are able to comprehend with all the saints. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth, which means it's immeasurable for us. The immeasurable love of God. Well, what is the definition of God's love? It's 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 8. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. If I have the prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I am nothing. In your faith, if you're not rooted and grounded in the love of Christ, it doesn't matter how much you know. It, it actually doesn't matter what you do. You're, you have nothing. The word nothing here in the Greek, there's two different words in the Greek for nothing. One means relatively nothing, and the other one means absolutely nothing. And this is the word absolutely nothing. You can do absolutely nothing, as Jesus said, apart from me. It's the same word. This love here is defined rather by action, by verbs, rather than adverbs or adjectives. Isn't that interesting? That it's defined by what it does. It's an agape love that is the decisive love of God. So here's the best way to see it. Human love is impulsive. God's love is decisive. What do I mean by human love is impulsive? Man, I love chocolate chip ice cream. I love it. I've had too much of it. I don't love it anymore. That's impulsive. I love this. I love that. I love doing this. And then one day you're like, I don't love that anymore. I used to love doing that. I don't really love that anymore. It's very impulsive. This is the language you hear in, in marriages when, when a marriage is trying to survive on human love, and they say, you know what, I just don't, I just don't love that person anymore. That's impulsive love. That's human love. That's failing love. God's love's not that way. God's love is decisive. God's love is controlled. It's pure. God's love has purpose in mind. His love for one thing is there the next day. He doesn't love one thing one day and one th another thing the other day. No, his love is unconditional and never based on performance. God is a God of love, and again, Romans 5, 6 through 8, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you were weak, you did nothing to earn God's love, and therefore you can do nothing to lose God's love. The question is, are you in his love? Are you in Christ? Have you come to a point in your life where you have surrendered 
in faith to him. This is my life. I am all yours. I want to be rooted and grounded in your love. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness. The goal of every Christian is to, can be, is to be completely filled with Christ. It's as if I had a glass up here and a pitcher of water and every little bit, I just kept pouring more and more and more and more and more until finally it's just overflowing. This is the, this is the prayer. This is the prayer that Paul has that we would be filled in fullness, that as our days go on until we reach glory, that he would continually fill. Just keep filling me up so I can understand and experience more the love of God every day. The application is that, that we would be growing daily, more filled with Christ, rooted and grounded in love, producing a fruit that we're incapable of producing on our own. Not because we know more, but because we daily experience his love more. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen? This is the conclusion of Paul's prayer. And so it's the conclusion of our prayer. We pray asking God to do far beyond all that we can ever ask or even think or imagine. That Christ would dwell in our hearts so intimately and powerfully that through our continued comprehension and understanding of his great love for us that we would begin to grow into completeness fully mature and MacArthur says when the Holy Spirit has empowered us Christ has indwelt us love has mastered us and God has filled us with his own fullness then he is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think so what does this mean when it comes to your salvation when it comes to your sanctification when it comes to you overcoming sin, I don't know what you walked in here with. When it comes to you loving others and loving God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. When it comes to you being able to serve others in a way that shows that you're not carrying bitterness or anger. When you lay it at his feet, he's able to do far exceedingly more abundantly and go beyond all we could ever ask or think in our hearts. He's able to do more than you could even ask for. He's able to make you new. He's able to make you a servant for his kingdom, to use you for his glory. He's, he's able to fill you with such love and compassion for others that it oozes out even when you didn't know it was possible. Why? Because he loves you. Isn't that a great thought? That we would be able to comprehend, grasp, the love of God 